Jesus said in Matthew 25, 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink, when do we see you a stranger and take you in and naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you do this to the least of one of my brethren, you did it unto me. This morning, since one of our missionary families are visiting, I thought it'd be a great idea to take kind of a time out of 1 Corinthians and explain to you that don't know how missions work here at Living Faith Fellowship. So if you would, please open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 15 as we take a one-week break out of 1 Corinthians and again talk about missions. And there's a lot of practical application. So this isn't me asking you to go to Africa this afternoon. This is me explaining to you how we support missionaries and how Jesus feels about people who are different than us. That's what I'm hoping to get out of today's message. But as a church, our desire is always, first and foremost, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And since he's the head of the church, he's the CEO, it makes sense that we ask him how we're to spend his funds, right? I mean, it just makes sense to me anyway. So within our pursuit, of faithfulness to the Lord and missions money, there are really two things that we kind of look at as a leadership team. One, we're concerned with the stewardship of the congregation's resources, not only materially, but spiritually. And number two, we're concerned with leadership of our congregation as we partner with people from the outside, as well as sending our own people on mission trips. Now, from our missions fund, you may not know this, but the first 10% of all giving from our church goes into a missions fund. There are set missions money every month, and then the balance kind of goes into a mission savings account. Out of that mission savings account, special needs arise, benevolence things, people who have surgeries, accidents, different things, and the elders get together, and we prayerfully consider the different asks, and that's where that money comes from. So what we like to do is we use Acts 1 as a model for missions. Let me share that with you. Acts 1, 7. And he, Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and then finally to the ends of the earth. So first and foremost, missions should be to our Jerusalem and Judea, then to our Samaria, and then finally the ends of the earth. So let me break that down really quick before we get into our passage. Jerusalem and Judea represent people who are near us, similar to us, and that's what it represented to the people Jesus was teaching. Samaria represents people who are close by, but who were different culturally. So first take care of your Jerusalem, your Judea, then your Samaria, and finally reach all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So obedient, obedience to the Lord's mandate when it comes, 
comes by we intentionally give our efforts to try to follow that model. So it stands to reason. Our Jerusalem, Judea. First and foremost, we take care of the needs of our fellowship. Right? It stands to reason. Then we support other local missionaries, and we support several of them. The Food Bank, the Gospel Mission, the Hope Pregnancy Center, and other local missions like that. Then, again, the benevolent needs that are asked. And finally, we have missionaries like the Andersons, who are, you know, in Brazil and getting ready to go to Peru. We take care of people like that. Acts 13 very clearly says that the Lord has placed leaders within the church to make decisions on putting hands on people who they think should be sent out as missionaries. So that's how it works. The leadership of the church recognizes needs. People come to us. This is our desire. We pray about it. We try to send them through a path of something. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. So let's try to discern Jesus' heart about people who are different than us through our passage this morning if we can. So if you have your sermon notes, Roman numeral number one, enemy territory. Enemy territory. If your Bibles are open, Matthew chapter 15, let's begin with verse 21. It says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So just before this, in the Gospel of Matthew, what had happened was some of the religious leaders traveled an eight-day journey just to give Jesus a do-better talk. Imagine this. These religious leaders, they come eight days on foot just to tell Jesus how wrong he was because his disciples were eating bread without doing the proper washings. They were so busy, they, they, they're hungry and busy, and so they're just eating bread, and these religious leaders hear about it, and how dare them? You, you see, we don't care that they had a need. They're breaking the law. And so they come eight days to give them this do-better talk. There in your notes... The Pharisees were not concerned with people's needs. They were upset that Jesus did not make them follow their religious rules. And so Jesus shows them their heart. He pulls no punches and he says, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, because these leaders were actually doing three things. And Jesus wants them to know how hypocritical they were to point out a little problem when their hearts were so filthy. Number one. Jesus told them they were hypocrites because they honor me with their lips. In other words, it sounds good what you're saying, but your heart is dirty. Number two, Jesus told them they worshiped in vain. In other words, it wasn't true, authentic, just heartfelt worship. They were doing it for men. And that's the third one. They were teaching man's doctrines. You remember there was only Ten Commandments. But the Jewish leaders made over 600 of them out of those 10. You know, you have heard it say this, but this and this and this and this and this and this. And shame on you that you're hungry. You didn't wash right, you filthy animals. <laughs> there in your notes, Kyle Eidemann said, Jesus spoke so strongly to these rule-loving religious leaders because he knows that when following him becomes about following rules, people end up walking away from both. They walk away from both. And so Jesus, notice this, 
He travels to Tyre and Sidon. And maybe you think, well, that's nothing to me. It doesn't mean anything. Well, I'm hoping to explain it to you. Why did Jesus go over to Lebanon in the Mediterranean coast? Jesus went there, even though in the Old Testament, they were accursed. They were wicked. And Ezekiel tells them that they're wicked for all their wicked ways. And yet Jesus goes over to enemy territory. And you got to say, why? Why didn't Jesus just go down the block? You know, why did he go all the way over there? And again, Ezekiel prophesied against them as wicked. You see, they had the Canaanite culture. And they did everything that was evil and satanic in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Old Testament prophets cursed them for that. Earlier in Matthew 11, maybe you remember the story how John the Baptist sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who's to come or should we look for somebody else? Matthew 11:20. then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they would not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago and sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for you on the day of judgment. It's pretty harsh words. And, and so this account in Matthew 15 is about one year before the crucifixion. And Jesus crosses over into enemy territory, and I just don't understand why, again, he didn't just go down the block. Mark's gospel tells us this in Mark 7, 26. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. There in your notes, being Syrophoenician means that she was half Phoenician and half Syrian, considered a true Gentile half-breed by the Jews. So not only was she a Gentile, but she was a half-breed. She's filthy. She's an animal. Why would you even talk to her? She was one of the unlovables. She was one of the ones that we would walk by today. Please don't make me talk to that person. The Syrophoenicians, even though the Canaanites were known for evil, they were known for more evil. They were known for satanic acts and all this witchcraft. They were known as the worst of the worst when it came to being sinners. So for us this morning, what does that tell us? If Jesus, while on a mission here, he came to seek and save that which was lost, we're told. That was his mission statement. If Jesus would take time out of telling his own people about how to get saved and go to heaven, shouldn't we do the same thing? Shouldn't we be about our master's business? He went to reach people like you. He went to reach people like me. He went to the sinners, the unlovable, the ugly, the filthy. And just imagine, what are the disciples thinking? Jesus, are you out of your mind? What's a matter with you? Why would Jesus go to Gentile dogs? Look at all the Jews that need to hear the good news, Jesus. What's wrong with you? These people aren't worthy of your time or your attention. But notice this. This woman goes to find Jesus. Tells us a few things, doesn't it? There's a couple of things we can, we can gather from this. Number one, this woman heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. Matthew 9, 30. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows about it. There in your notes. 
But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Someone told this lady about Jesus. You know what you have that I don't have? Is your personal testimony. You have a job outside of here. You have people you can influence outside of here. You have friends, you have neighbors, and you have a testimony. But I'm not an evangelist. You don't have to be. You know what you have to do? Is know what Jesus did for you. And if you know what Jesus did for you, share that with somebody. They don't care how high and lofty you think you are. They don't care about any of that. What they care about is, look, I was once blind, but now I see. I was once this, but Jesus. Give them about 20 seconds of what you was and give them about five minutes of what you is. Don't glorify the sin. You drank a six pack. I drank a case in high school. No one needs to hear that. Look, I was a filthy, lost sinner, but Jesus opened my eyes and he was willing to save a wretch like me. That's what they need to hear. And you can tell people that I'll never be able to get near. And, and notice Jesus may hide himself from the religious elite, but not from this woman. That's number two there in your notes. Jesus will not hide from a person in need who truly seeks him. It's ironic to me that Jesus left the religious leaders behind to go find this woman. Jesus left those high and mighty, holier-than-thou people behind to go into enemy territory and find this filthy dog of a woman so she could be saved. There in your notes, this woman was begging Jesus to heal her daughter, and notice she calls him Son of David, his messianic title. Again, these religious leaders who knew all the promises, all the scriptures, they knew who Jesus was. They knew he was the Messiah. And yet they come to give him a do-better talk. And she, this filthy Gentile dog of a woman, comes and calls him son of David. Have mercy on me. She gives them the respect they wouldn't. But here, this half-breed Canaanite comes and proclaims him. He's the Messiah. And you got to understand, in Jesus' day, a good Jew would never talk to a woman. A good Jew would definitely never talk to a Gentile dog of a woman. But as Phil Collins would say in the group Genesis, <laughs> Roman numeral two, no reply at all. No reply at all. You wondered where I was going with that, didn't you? Look at verse 23. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So notice this woman cries out, have mercy on me, son of David. But Jesus won't respond to her at first. He doesn't respond. And so his disciples, true to form, say, send her away. She's a bother. You know, <laughs> we're busy doing ministry here. Jesus sent her away. There in your notes, this woman was desperate and came seeking the only one who could heal her daughter. And true to form, just like they did with the feeding of the 5,000, please send her away. We don't want to hear from her. Back in the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew 14, 15, it says, When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. 
Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. There in your notes. Instead of being compassionate towards needy people, the disciples tell Jesus to send them away. And you can kind of understand, right? They've been with Jesus two years at this point. They've been serving. They're tired. They're dragging their feet. They need a vacation. And so they're like, we're tired of meeting people's needs. Send them away. Paul tells us in Galatians 6, 9, that let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we will reap a reward if we do not lose heart. So in Matthew 14, the disciples don't want to feed the crowd. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. But here's what's so cool. Jesus tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. But then he performs a miracle and feeds the people. There's a lesson there for us. Right? You do it. But I'm going to do it through you. You do it. Go on. You see, our difficulties in life as a believer should always be measured by the one who is behind the difficulty answering the prayer. If you don't measure your difficulties in life by that, you're sad. And you're broken. When we get worn out, that's because we forget that the one who's behind our difficulties, the one who's answering the prayers behind the scenes is still in charge. He's sovereign. He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. And the disciples somehow forgot that. And so after they complain about this woman, Jesus's response to me seems a little harsh, doesn't it? I was not sent except to the household of Israel. Go away. And that doesn't sound like my Jesus. But you see, this harsh rebuke was not only to teach this woman a lesson, it was to teach his followers a lesson too. There's a lesson here. Henry Ironside said, As son of David, he came to minister to Israel and reign eventually as the king on his rightful throne of David. There in your notes. As such, for the present, a Gentile woman had no claim upon him. And so he answered her not a word. But you see, Jesus has a plan. Do you know that Jesus doesn't always answer in your timing? <laughs> Have you learned that? You know, it'd be great, God, if you just answer when I ask. Or if you're not going to answer when I ask, at least tell me how it ends so that I don't have to wonder about it, right? Then I can have all the faith in the world. But see, God had a plan. And Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation to everyone, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because God came to save everybody. But first, he wanted to offer it to his own people. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? I read that at a football game once. I think that came out of John 3.16, I think. But the plan was to start with Israel. In fact, John 1.11 says, he came to his own. And his own did not receive him. But, my favorite word in all the Bible, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. 
And, and so at first, Jesus doesn't answer this woman, but then he responds to the plea of the disciples and basically says, hey, woman, I wasn't sent here for you. And, and I think this is a test to see if she would persist. Is this a test to see if you'll have faith and trust me? Maybe? I don't know. But the woman overhears Jesus, and she overhears the disciples. And then Roman numeral three, catch what she does. In desperation, she worships. I didn't say in desperation, she complains. <laughs> Did you hear that? In desperation, she worships. Look at verse 25. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. Ooh, this is tough again. So the first time this woman approaches Jesus, she calls him Messiah. He won't answer her. Earlier, remember, these religious leaders who knew he was Messiah were complaining and trying to condemn Jesus. There in your notes, this time the woman came to Jesus in desperate worship, falls at his feet, and calls him Lord. That's boss, master, the one in charge. You are the one in charge, Lord. Help me. Help me. Uh, imagine the desperation of this woman whose daughter is demon-possessed. Uh, imagine what a demon would do to your daughter, throw her in the fire and get her all kinds of crazy things. And this woman so desperate, Lord, help her. Remember, she was Syrophoenician. And they were known for the worst kinds of idolatry and satanic acts. You know, people can open themselves up to all kinds of influence from, from Satan. You know, I don't believe a believer can be possessed, but we can be oppressed. But if you're not a believer, you better bet demon possession happens. The Greek word pharmakia is where we get our English word pharmacy. And by extension, it means magic, black magic, sorcery, witchcraft. So somehow this daughter of hers got herself into something and gets demon-possessed and the demon is just wrecking her life and mom is broken-hearted. Look again at verse 26. But he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. You see, the Jews considered Gentiles to be dogs. They were good for nothing but to stoke the fires of hell. That's all they're good for. The Jews had total contempt against Gentiles. And it stayed this way even after the resurrection of Christ, unfortunately. They hated the Gentiles. And so here Jesus said, it's not good to take the children's food and throw it to little dogs. And you could just imagine someone reading that says, see, they are dogs. But originally, Jesus called his people to be a light unto the whole world, including the Gentiles. In fact, Isaiah 42, 6 says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people and as a light to the Gentiles. Well, Jesus said they're going to be a light to the Gentiles, but here he's calling her a little dog. We have a problem, Houston. So why did he say that? It's not good to take the children's bread, children obviously, the children of Israel, and give it to little dogs. There in your notes. The word Jesus uses in verse 26 is the Greek word for a puppy. For a puppy. 
It's easy to mistake this as an insult to this woman, but it wasn't an insult at all. This was not only to teach this woman, but the disciples as well. You see, what he's telling her is the priority now is for the house of Israel. But there's coming a time when salvation will be for the whole world, to all those who would believe. And, and the metaphor is, Jesus is telling this woman, it's timing. It's all about timing. Right now, I'm ministering to Israel. But when Israel rejects me, then the gospel is going to the whole world. And he's trying to teach these disciples and this woman what's going on. And again, you can look at this and think, man, he was insulting her, but he was not. So notice what happens. So first she comes up, calls him Messiah. Then, he, then she worships and calls him Lord. Roman numeral four, faith expressed. Look at verse 27. And she said, yes, Lord or boss. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. There in your notes, the woman was saying, I understand that Israel must be first. However, if you simply use a crumb of your power, it will be enough for my daughter. Just give me a crumb, Lord. That's all I want. Feed Israel. Give it all. Give me a crumb. Just, just, just a little bit of your blood is enough, Lord. <laughs> Guzik said, it was as if she had said, Jesus, I understand the focus of your ministry is to the Jews. They have a special place in God's redemptive plan. Yet I also understand that your plan extends past the Jews and comes to us. And I want to be part of that extended blessing. So this woman somehow heard about the Messiah, the Lord. And, and she's showing more faith than his disciples, right? The disciples who have been there when they fed thousands of people, the disciples who, who've been there through all these miracles, and all they could say is, Lord, send her away. I'm getting tired of hearing her whining. Just send her packing. And, and Jesus says, she has great faith. You know, there's only one other time that Jesus used those words. Oh, great faith you have. Only one other time. It's when the centurion, another Gentile, showed great faith. Only twice he used those words. Matthew 8, 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. And then in Matthew 8, 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to those who followed, Assuredly I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And again, Mark's gospel very clearly tells us that this young daughter had an unclean spirit. And when she hears about it, she comes and falls at his feet. She comes and worships. There in your notes... It may have been the demon possession that drove her to Jesus, but it was her faith and trust in him that healed her daughter. See, so many of us think that demons are so strong, you know, and, and Satan is like the yin to God's yang or something. And that is not true. Do you understand that Satan's simply a servant of God most high? Do you understand that? I had one week here. 
I did a sermon. I don't even remember really what it was all about. But when I got done, as I walked out, a guy who was had a few cocktails before church, true story, caught me on the way out. And he said, God never takes a life. Only Satan does. And I, it took me back. Not only his breath, but I mean, the whole thing took me back. And I looked at him and I said, you know, Satan is nothing more than a servant of God most high. You need to know that. God is sovereign. And very clearly in scripture, God is the giver and taker of life. Very clearly. In this instance, this demon was simply a tool in God's right hand. Do you understand? The demon drove the mother to Jesus. But she comes and worships. Right? So the demon is not the center of the story. Jesus is the center of the story. But this woman had such great faith and she trusted and believed Jesus even while everything was against her. Uh, understand this. Her ethnicity was against her. Her gender was against her. The disciples were against her. It even seemed that Jesus was against her by his first reply. Yet she persisted and she trusted and she believed and she kept coming and coming and coming. And Jesus says, oh, great faith. I've never seen such great faith. Only twice in scripture he says those words. You see, she didn't have plan B. When you get so desperate that you have no plan B, then you're ready for a miracle. You understand that? And, and I'm not saying, hey, blab it and grab it or any of that nonsense. What I'm saying is, when God gets you to a point where there's only one answer, you will go to the one who has the answer. When you've figured it out, reconciled your checkbook and done everything else and still can't find a way, you have to be desperate and go to the only one who has the answers. And then, maybe then, you'll have great faith. Spurgeon said, even though the door was slammed in her face, she kept knocking. She kept knocking. So as a conclusion, the first thing we need to realize about this whole thing is that Jesus' love is without borders. Right? He gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe shall have life. There's no room for prejudice in the body of Christ. Not one ounce of room. And the second thing you should notice is that just as he went out of his comfort zone to go over to these Gentile dogs, there's a good lesson for us. It's time to get out of our comfort zone and go and reach people that are different than us. Romans 10:11. for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we're not to be like the disciples, send her away. Let someone else do it. And so, why did this woman come to Jesus? Because she heard about him. She heard about him. Someone told her about Jesus. And so I'd like to talk about really quickly how Jesus went over these borders. What are the borders in our life that stop us from telling someone about Jesus? There's a few. And uh, if they step on your toes a little bit, you're welcome. They stepped on mine a little bit. 
Number one is relationship borders. Relationship borders. I was telling a son of mine this weekend that holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. There are times that unforgiveness in our life builds up. And so we can't cross those borders because of unforgiveness. And and I would tell you, reach out to the person who hurt you. The second one, the borders of walls of fear that keep you from sharing your faith. What will they think of me? They don't think of you anyway. Jesus has called us to be a light into the world. And the question is, how will they hear if we don't share? And then here's one for you. How about busyness borders? I'm too busy. Busy being under Satan's yoke. Being under Satan's yoke. I'm too busy. God, if you tell us to go, we'll go. If you tell us to stay, we'll stay. If you tell us to wait, we'll wait. If you tell us to walk on the water and they tell us we can't, we're going to go anyway. I didn't know Tila was going to do that song this morning, but I love it. See, someday when we're in heaven, not a one of us is going to care that we didn't work the extra hour or, you know, watch the extra episode of MASH or whatever it is. We're not going to care about that. But we will care that we were part of a harvest here on earth. And because Jesus is so sovereign, he goes over to Gentile territory for this woman. There in your notes, this woman was a sinner who needed help. So she believed Jesus and then desperately cried out for his healing. And and then notice the result of Jesus granting this prayer. Verse 28, then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, how great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed right now. Right now. We're also told Mark 7.30, And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone and her daughter lying in bed. There in your notes. I love it. I'm sorry. There in your notes. The devil had violently possessed this girl, but Jesus gave her rest because true rest only comes from him alone. Jesus promised, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. He promised it. He promised it. So let's end like this. Matthew 25, 37. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink, when do we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it for the, one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Missions should point people to Jesus because no matter what that person needs, be it water, be it food, be it shelter, whatever they need, their ultimate need is salvation in Jesus Christ. So our missions should point people to salvation in Jesus Christ. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If missions don't do that, if, if a particular group does not preach the gospel, no thank you. Amen. I mean, I know there's other needs out there. I get it. I get it. But this is Jesus' church. And our mission is mission 316. Jesus' mission. For God so loved the world. 
And, and so our mission is Jesus's mission to tell the world about his love, forgiveness. And that only comes by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're ever wondering what missions at Living Faith Fellowship look like, there it is. Someone wants to be a missionary. We interview them. We hear what they're doing. We want to make sure they line up with our belief system. We want all those sort of things. And then we pray about it. And you know what? <laughs> the Andersons, last time they were here, I got to go have a meal with them. And, and we just sat around and we talked for a very long time. And I got to hear how Jesus is using this family. Give me 10 more just like that. Give me 20 more just like that. I wish we could support 50 more just like that. Because that's what we want. We support the local missions. We can go out and tell people here in Klamath Falls, but I can't go to Brazil this week. I don't know about you, but they can. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. And like every week, we'll have some prayer partners in the back who would love to pray for you. If there's something you need prayer over this morning, we count it a blessing. And by the way, if you don't know my Jesus... And you sat here and listened to all this and wondered, are those just old archaic stories? Was it, was it just a fable or what it was? Let me tell you this morning, my Jesus is real and he loves you. He loved you so much that he took the cross for you. And I would love, love, love to tell you all about how you can have freedom and rest for your souls by coming to know my Jesus. Come see me in the back. Let's pray. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithklamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.